Uh, so good to worship with you, and it's so good to have uh, Pastor Paul back. And um, he looks uh, youthful and re-energized, and hair looks extra hip and stuff. So it's good. I need to I need to take a Sabbath, but uh, sabbatical. But um, hey, it's so good to worship with you. You know, today we look at this passage, and it talks about going to Christ, who is the anchor of our souls, that we should run to Him. And there's an image used of an anchor, and you see it on your bulletins, and we've kind of titled our whole thought, our whole sermon series from um, Hebrews as this idea of the anchor of our soul. And we see this happening here. You know, uh, I don't know how many of you have, um, are, are big on boats and, uh, you know, sailing or whatever it is, but... Uh, uh, you know, the imagery that's used in the Bible is that kind of life is like a boat ride. You're on the water, and sometimes it's, it's smooth sailing, literally, and sometimes it's rough. And how you uh, manage that matters so much. And we see here that um, the title is the anchor of our souls. It's so much more than the physical needs that we have. It's so much more than the, uh, the food or the place to sleep. But so much more than that, there's something about the soul. That you are more than just a body, you are a soul. And what does our soul uh, mean to us? You know, you ever feel like this sometimes? Circumstances are okay, your stomach is full, you have a place to sleep and all of that is good. But something is just not right. Something is just not right on the inside. And you know, that, I think that is the impact of our soul. And our soul needs to be doing well. It is the late Dallas Willard who talks about the soul. And I want to share this quote. He says, our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom. So there's a picture here. Here is our soul, and if we are connected and our soul is taken care of, doesn't matter what kind of work you do, doesn't matter how much money you make, doesn't matter what you're eating, doesn't matter what you're doing for fun, if your soul is connected to God, he says that you will be refreshed and exuberant in all you do. And so we, t we understand that. And now we come to this section here and we say, well, God is the anchor of my soul. It's interesting because uh, Hebrews was written, and the commentators talk about this, that the audience of Hebrews, many of them were falling away from faith. They were falling away, they were losing hope. And they were falling away from the church, they were falling away from Christ. Some of it had to do with persecution, some of it had to do with too much pleasures, whatever it was, but they were falling away. And so he writes to an audience that's struggling to stay faithful, and he now here in this section describes the faithfulness of God. And today what we're going to do is pretty simple, is we're going to look at uh, three uh, characteristics about God that is mentioned here. And then that will lead us to do a couple things. And that's the second part. What, what should we do? And it's interesting that the example that he, the illustration he uses is the picture of Abraham. And we know the story of Abraham and Sarah, that uh, Abraham is given a covenant by God, and God gives him this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and he says, I'll make you into a great nation. The father of nations he is supposed to be. 
and yet they cannot bear children. So it is at the age of 100, when Sarah was about 90, that they finally give birth to their son. Uh, and so we see here that this is the example that he uses. Look at Abraham. To all of the Hebrews, the Jewish people who became Christians, you know the story of Abraham and how God was. And he says, let me remind you of who God is. And here, these are the characteristics of God that's mentioned here. Number one is, and there's three characteristics. Number one, he's unchangeable. Uh, we take this often for granted. We don't think about what that means. He's unchangeable. It says here in verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose. So he wanted to demonstrate in a convincing way to his people, the heirs, the promise. Is a, he, he shared the unchangeable character of his purpose. So who he is is the same. Uh, the theologians use the word immutability, immutability of God. That he doesn't learn, he doesn't grow, he doesn't change, um, he doesn't get better, he doesn't get worse. He's the same. This is who God is. Uh, and so we sometimes mistakenly say, and you hear people mistakenly say, well, the Old Testament is the God of justice and the New Testament is a God of grace. Or, uh, no, he's the same. From Genesis to now, he's the same. It's the immutability of God. He is consistent. And, you know, consistency is an attribute we um, really overlook, but we love so much. I mean, you go to your favorite fast food place. You want it to be the same every time you go, right? Uh, you go to go get your favorite cup of coffee. You want it to taste the same every time you go there. Uh, you don't want it to fluctuate. You don't want it to be different. Um, think about the relationships you have. When you go to work, um, you want the people that work under you to work in a consistent manner. You don't want them to call in sick whenever they want, uh, complain about their jobs. You want them to be there and to do this. And for those of you, also, same thing with your boss. You want the, the superior, the supervisor, to be someone who is consistent. Now you think about the relationships at home. right? The people at home. You want them to stay the same. You want them to be immutable in a way. You want them to be consistent. So you don't want someone one day saying, I want to do this, and next day I want to do that. Today I feel like loving you. Today I don't feel like it. Um, no, you want them to have this consistency. And when it comes to the most important relationship of all, our relationship with God, this brings us much comfort, doesn't it? That he is now the same. He is not going to change. You know, later on today, I, I have a wedding I'm officiating today. Um, and I always kind of like to tease the groom and the bride, you know. And um, first, I have the mic, so they you know, have to deal with it. But I, I tease them, and I say, oh, look how nice you look. And I tease the guy, and uh, I'm going to tease him today. You know, but I'm like, this is the skinniest and the most handsome you'll ever be. You're just, you know, it's uh, downhill from here. And, um, and they still love it, you know. Um, I haven't had a bride run out on me yet. But, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about that. But, you know, yeah, physically we might change. But, man, you want that person to be who they are. You want them to be consistent. And God is described in this way. And so what that means is that who he is and his purpose, it says in this verse, the purpose that he has for you is still the same. 
He wants you to grow in the image of Christ. He wants to sanctify you to become more like him. He wants to have his hand on your life for you to grow. And it doesn't matter if you are now smooth sailing or if it is rough waters. The purpose is still the same. God is still the same. What people think is the circumstances must mean, must dictate what God wants from me. This door is open, this one's closed, this one's closed, this one's open. And we say, oh, gosh, this is hard. Maybe God doesn't want me to go this way. No, he wants the same for us, regardless of our circumstances. And so we take that to heart that he is unchanging. It is in uh, Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So this is the idea that he is the same. And that brings us a sense of peace. We're not walking on eggshells, tiptoeing around God. God, am I good enough today? God, will you bless me today? He's the same. He loves us in this way. Secondly, is he keeps his word. Uh, God is the God who keeps his word. He cannot lie. One thing, two things he cannot do is he cannot change. He cannot lie. And it says in verse 16 or verse 17, the uh, second part, he guaranteed it with an oath, he said. Speaking about how he made the promise to Abraham. He guaranteed it with an oath. How we today uh, easily forget the oaths and the vows that we have made and how important it is to keep it, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, there's a story about him that, uh, that when, during the World War, I, World War I, as he was in the trenches, uh, one of his best friends were there. His best friend, uh, Patty Moore, uh, was there with him. And they had both come from a, a single uh, parent home. Their moms were both single. And so they had this burden to take care of their moms. And they had made a pact, a promise. They said, if anything had happened to one of us, we'll take care of each other's moms. Well, his best friend happened uh, to also have a baby sister. And uh, he ended up dying during the war. So C.S. Lewis, as a young adult man, after uh, this had, uh, the war had come to pass, he kept his word. Uh, he spent uh, his, half his adult life taking care of his friend's mom and his friend's sister. He was someone who kept the word. And that is uh, kind of rare these days, right? Um, thirdly, is God, is a pic uh, God here is pictured as the anchor that's kind of available to us, if I could say. Uh, we can go to him. You know, it's like the big ship and there's an anchor and it's sitting there. It's available. So you don't have to now um, go look for it or find it. It's sitting there. So God is available. He's the anchor who is there. And it says in verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the uh, inner place behind the curtain. This is a picture of Christ. And we have this hope. It is before us. You know, uh, back in the, in the early Christians in the first, uh, second century, they would use symbols to describe their faith. And uh, one of the symbols that they had was the fish. Remember and back in the kind of late 80s, 90s, it was kind of, you had to have a fish, you know, if you were a Christian, so you go buy it at the Christian bookstore and you stick it on your car. Some, some people got real creative and they would take the logo off, you know, Honda and they would put the fish. And um, some people who were big, 
you know, strong Christians, they put big fish and some people who eh, you know, put a little fish. Like I had a little fish on my car. I thought maybe it'll get me out of a ticket or, you know, I, you know, just, the, the, but if I was speeding, I don't want people to see it. Um, I had a little fish on my car, but we had that. Another symbol that they had back in the day was the anchor, right? And I think there's an image here. One of the slides is an image. If we could throw that up, uh, you'll see uh, this is from one of the tombstones that was found. And you see the fish, you see the anchor um, to my right. And the anchor represents the one that sustains me, the one that keeps me. The fish represents the one that fed me, the one that gave me life. And so many Christians back in the day would identify themselves with these symbols. And you can find them even today uh, if you go uh, look for them uh, and the artifacts that are there. But this anchor is described, and you just go back to our text in verse 19. The two words to describe the anchor here is a sure and steadfast anchor. A sure and steadfast anchor, the ESV says. Sure means safe, uh, incapable of being moved. You know, someone we say is like, is like a rock. We could trust them. And you might have a few people like that in your life. You say, boy, they're like my rock. I could trust them. They're consistent. They're constant. Secondly, is steadfast is used. And the same word is used uh, in chapter 3, verse 6 of Hebrews, and it's translated confidence. So something that is worthy of my confidence, steadfast. And the anchor, the value of the anchor is seen when the waters get rough. When it gets really bad, that's when you need the anchor. You know, the sailor back in these days, they were completely dependent on the stars, the moon, um, to be able to see where they're going, the landscape, if they could see the mountains, and when a storm came in and all of that is blocked off and they cannot see what is on top, they cannot see the land, uh, they're helpless and they can go and get wrecked in the rocks. And so you would imagine how important it was, especially during those days when the storm is coming in to drop the anchor so they can now stay in place and not drift to the left or to the right. And that's the picture that the writer of Hebrews wants to get across to us. He says, hey, Christians, your life may become difficult. Don't just drift. Don't drift because, boy, it's more convenient this way, where everyone says it's going this way. Let your anchor down, especially in tough times. And what we learn about God and what we learn uh, about him helps us to do two things. And these are the two things I want to share with us. Number one is... Um, Wait on him. It tells us about Abraham in verse 15. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. He waited on God. He waited till he was 100. But more than that, he waited till he was in the face of God. And he obtained the ultimate pro uh, promise. Uh, we wait. And we have to learn to wait on him. You know, in our day and age today, uh, we are becoming more and more impatient, aren't we? I mean, I am. It just says confession, you know, confession. I, you should have seen me today, like, driving. I, I preached at Irvine. I came back and how fast I was driving, you know. Um, and just and to go one place, I catch myself now checking. I have to check for traffic. But sometimes 
Google might be wrong, so I check my Apple Maps, and then that might be wrong, so I go to Waze. I, I often check all three just to make sure that there's no traffic. You know, as I share, and I'll say, we need some rice, go to Diamond Bar, get some rice. You know, this traffic, we can't eat rice today. You know, like, no rice. Uh, just, just go eat in and out or something. No rice today, like, there's traffic, I can't go there. I mean, we're, we're, it's gonna take five extra minutes. Um, but yet, we're so afraid to wait. And here he says, he, we think waiting means that we are being weak. We are being passive. We think waiting means God is doing nothing. From God's perspective, our period of waiting is him still forming us. God is still working. His purpose is still there. But we think, boy, uh, when I wait, that means I'm wasting my time. And so we want to struggle and strife. But he says, no, no, no. Waiting is where God is working on us. And so what is it that God is working on you during this time as you wait? There's a story of a, a king. And the king had no children, and so he had no heir, a parent, uh, to take, his, take the throne. So he made a call out to the people, and he said, um, we're gonna have a contest. Whoever wins the contest will become the next king. And so all the people of the land sent their best, you know, sent their best boys and young men, younger brothers, sons, and they sent them there in the hopes of maybe my boy could become the king. And uh, after a full day of testing on their intellect and their reasoning and their athletic ability, they drew, they, they, it came down to three young men. And so they made a proclamation, the next day there's gonna be a race. And these three are gonna run the race. And the one that does well is going to now become king. And so you can imagine everyone from the hometown and the uncles and cousins, everyone, everyone is there rooting on their boy because they want him. And so these young men are pumped up and they're ready to go. And they get to the race and it is a long obstacle race and they're gonna race and there's the finish line and once they go and come back, whoever they're assuming whoever finishes will become king and uh, the king is sitting up on high watching them. And he sends his, uh, one of his assistants to come down. And as these guys are getting pumped up ready for the race, the, the, the king's assistant comes and whispers in the ear of the first guy. He says, um, wait till the king gives you the signal. Don't go because the starter sends you. And he says, yeah, okay, okay. And then he goes to the next guy and whispers the same thing in his ear. Uh, don't go when the starter sends you. Look for the king's signal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes to the third guy and tells him that again. Uh, don't just go because he, the starter sends you. You wait for the king to give you a sign. And he's okay. And then everyone is cheering him on and they're getting excited. And so in the midst of that, uh, the starter comes out and they're like, all right, gentlemen, are you ready? Uh, guess that. And they're lined up. Go, and then one of them just takes off running, right? He's already forgotten. He's so excited, and he's running as fast as he can. And he looks back, and he sees that they've stopped. So he stops for a moment. He forgot why, um, that they're not running. The second guy sees this guy running, and he panics. And so he starts running. And so the other first guy that started running sees the second guy catching up to him. So he freaks out, so they both start running. And they're running, and they're sweating, and they get through the race, and they get to the finish line, and they, they neck and neck, and they finish. But the third guy is just standing there. And he's looking at the king saying, did I miss something? Did he give a signal? What does he want? I, I lost the race now, but I'm waiting. And obviously, the third guy became the heir apparent. Now, don't we react 
this way, when God says to wait, we panic because it seems like everyone else is running. It seems like everyone else is doing this by now. You know, today after church, if you have Instagram, you go there, your friends are doing some fantastic stuff on this three-day weekend, and you're stuck at home, like doing laundry, you're at church, and then you know, it's just going to Diamond Bar to buy rice, whatever it is you got to do, right? And you're just kind of stuck, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're doing this. Don't I have to do something? Don't I have to start running? And we say, oh, look at them. They're catching up to me. Don't I have to just panic and do something? But, but somewhere in the midst of it, the king tells us to be still and know. Just be still and know and keep your eyes on me. So we wait. And the second thing we do is we have to actively hold on. Go to him. You have an anchor on the boat. Pick it up and put it in the water. Don't be the sailor that is on the boat saying, well, I'm on the boat. We're about to drown. The boat is getting all over the place. It, 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 water's coming in. I don't know where we're going. We might hit rocks, but I'm just going to panic and run around. No, we throw the anchor in. Go and hold on to the Lord. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Go to him. It says in verse 18, the latter part, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. A strong encouragement to hold fast. This word hold fast, it can be translated to cease something. That same word is translated in Matthew 14, 5, when Herod ceased John the Baptist to, to behead him. You know, the, to arrest someone is to chase someone down. It's the idea of a, a policeman chasing someone down and getting a hold of them. And so when it comes to the hope that we have, don't let it passively just come upon you as you think. Go and cease it. Go to him. Go to Christ. It is Donald Guthrie who talks about this wording in his commentary. He says it so well, talking about this word to hold fast or to cease. He says, it is a seizure of the hope set before us. The idea seizure implies a taking hold of and grasping in a resolute manner, which again stresses the supreme importance of the action. Hope is of such a character that it needs tenacity to retain it. It does not simply happen. So when it comes to your faith, you need some tenacity to make it happen. It doesn't just happen if I sit here. So go to him. Pray to him. Ask him daily, would you strengthen me? Go to the word. Say, God, would you speak through the word? And go and be tenacious when it comes to this. Don't be the sailor that has the anchor on the boat while the boat is about to crash. Pick it up and throw it over. And we are called to live in this way every day. How foolish it is that we have this hope. And it says here in that verse, it's set before us. It's here. It's like a banquet table set up in front of us. And we're starving to death. We have living water set before us and we're dying of thirst. And we're running around, freaking out, looking for this. It's set before us in Christ. Go to him. Don't panic. Go to him. Don't run because everyone else is running. Keep your eyes on him. Hope in him. And I want to close with this verse. 
from Psalm 42.5. And if you would bow your heads just for a moment as I read this one verse to you. And let this sink into your souls. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Dear God, we ask ourselves that question often. Why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul. Hope in God. I hope in you, God. Then again, I will be able to praise you. So we put our hope in you. I pray for my dear sisters and brothers here that we can continue faithfully with the God who is faithful to us. And when rough waters come, God, that we will rely on the anchor that holds us in place and just sit and wait. God, I know some here are going through, Lord, just a rough, rough patch of life. And God, we want to just sit and wait on you. So would you help us to do that as well? you are our hope that is everything to us we thank you for being there for us faithfully keeping your word being available to us we thank you we pray in jesus name